Hello and welcome to It's Lit, where all things literary live at the root. I'm Maisha Kai, Managing Editor of The Glow Up, and we are officially back from our little hiatus. Thank you for sticking with us. Today, we are coming back strong with our first ever repeat guest, the always lovely and extremely talented Gabrielle Union. Our regular listeners will probably recall that we had Gabrielle on with her husband, Dwayne Wade, back in May to talk about their children's book, Shady Baby, which was inspired by their youngest daughter, Kavia James. But this time around, Gabriella is here to have a more adult conversation, talking about her new memoir, You Got Anything Stronger? Suffice to say, it tells quite a different story. Fans of Gabriella are probably aware that this is her second memoir. Her first, We're Going to Need More Wine, was a New York Times bestseller when it came out in 2017 and largely detailed her upbringing, career journey, first marriage, and processing the intense trauma of being a survivor of sexual assault. This time around, Gabrielle is getting even more open and vulnerable, if you can believe it, telling us about the intense ups and downs she's experienced over the last four years since her first memoir, including her fertility journey, welcoming Kavya through surrogacy, navigating power coupling and step parenting, and even experiencing the first flush of perimenopause. It is affirming and empathetic and something I hope everyone reads. It was such a joy to get to talk with Gabrielle for a second time for the podcast. She is always so radically open and honest, and I can't wait for you all to hear it. I think it was a really important conversation to have, especially for us women of a certain age. So with that, I give you Gabrielle Union. Gabrielle, welcome back to It's Lit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Thank you for having me back. Well, you know, this is thrilling because you actually, you have the distinction of being the first of our authors to make a repeat appearance on our podcast, which we launched. Oh. I know, right? <laughs> which we launched uh, just over a year ago. Um, but you were here with us a couple, a few months ago with your husband. Uh, that would be Dwayne Wade for the uninitiated, talking about your children's book that you all wrote together. Shady Baby, inspired by your daughter, Kavia James, who's one of our favorite internet personalities. And now, you know, that was a very family-friendly conversation, and I loved it. But I'm really excited to have you back to have a slightly more adult conversation (laughs) about your second memoir. Yes, yes. You got anything stronger. (laughs) Now, um, I'll say this. So you and I are around the same age, and uh, I love that you have enough story here for not one, but two memoirs. <laughs> and uh, and having loved your first one, this is exciting to me because I didn't I don't know that I really expected to bond with this book as much as I did. I bonded so much with your first one. I felt like there were so many parallels in my own upbringing and yours. I felt very close to you. And I and there's a lot I want to dig into in this one. But I do want to do something that we do every time we tape It's Lit. Um, we like to ask each of our guests about a book that influenced them as a writer. And when you were here last time, you said Anne Moody's uh, Coming of Age in Mississippi and the autobiography of Malcolm X, um, both of which I think are very we're very telling in terms of a lot of the, uh, I guess, the energy that you put into the world. Is there anything else you would add to that list now? Uh, probably I, Tina. Ah. Um, it's, it's a book I reference a lot. Yeah. So I, it, it, I don't always give it the proper credit that it deserves. Um, I read I, Tina the first, for the first time, because I've read it several times, uh, 
after I got divorced the mm-hmm. first time. I'm, well, hopefully the only time. I hope, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, it really, it, her clarity and her, her just openness and willingness to be open with all of us, you know, her fans was, I kept thinking, oh, oh, oh. Um, but at the end, because I was all up in, I was able to see myself, you know, and, and a lot of memoirs and, and, you know, personal essays that I read are, it's just like a bunch of cliches thrown mm-hmm. together because we want people to think of us as good and wholesome and worthy of whatever, but it doesn't help anyone in that kind of way. So I've, I've wanted to, to really be able to not just write, but speak about it and be impactful. Yeah. You know, um, I love that you brought up Itina because I do remember you citing that book in, in your first memoir. And, um, and it's a book that's resonated with me too. And for people who don't understand what we're talking about, this is Tina Turner's memoir, uh, her first one, cause she's written several too. <laughs> um, but I love what you just said about how it drew you in. Cause I had the exact same response to you got anything stronger. By the way, I also love the, uh, alcohol metaphors. <laughs> they just, they resonate with me too. Um, the first time around, the first round, if you will, um, with, uh, I think we're going to need more wine. You know, you really brought us into, you gave us a lot of context on who you are and your childhood, your upbringing, all those kind of things. This gave us a lot more context, I think, on the last few years. And I know you'd already been really transparent and open about a lot of the things that had gone on, you know, having your first child with Dwayne, you know, that, that journey and how alternately, you know, painful and incredible and inspiring that whole journey was. And you get really transparent here. I was, I was, I was actually not prepared to weep within the first 30 pages of this, but I did. And having talked about it publicly before, I mean, you know, you talked about this with Oprah, you've talked about this with lots of people. Why did you want to go even deeper into that process? Well, the bulk of this was written during the pandemic Mm -hmm. and just watching so many, me and so many of my friends just feel like you're, you're drowning. You're just drowning in plain sight and people are kind of glancing and then walking by you like they didn't see. And it just feels so, you feel so helpless and alone and, and like you're literally going to drown and no one's going to give a shit. And the more I, am honest and transparent about, you know, most of it. People are like, it's like I'm throwing life preservers. Mm-hmm. Like I see you and this is how I got through. doesn't have to match your journey, but I see you. You're not alone. There is, you know, help, light, hope on the other side. It's just too many of us are just drowning like unnecessarily. Um, yeah, I entirely agree. And I, and I, you did something here that I felt was really powerful because I think we do this thing. I mean, I see it a lot as a writer, you know, because I'm a journalist and there's a comment section everywhere I go. I see this dismissal that happens sometimes with people who have privilege, right? <laughs> you know, like you all cease to be human. You cease to have, you know, the same kind of traumas and insecurities and misgivings and hiccups and all those kind of things that everybody else has, you know, no matter how many, how many times we put up the stars, they're just like us, you know? (laughs) Um, But, um, you know, you, you explore everything here from the infertility journey to 
then going to your insecurities as a new, as a parent of a young child. I mean, you'd already been a step parent, but this obviously added a whole new dimension of things. And you even get transparent about more transparent about your marriage. And I think people kind of idealize, like they see you and Dwayne there and you guys always look amazing. You're on the red carpet, getting along great, everything, you know, and you're giving us this inside lens into what that dynamic looks like. How do you navigate that with your family? How do you, I guess, how do you prepare them for this level of transparency? I know you guys are already out there, but I also know you have to set very necessary boundaries um, and you're really kind of letting us in here. How, how How do those conversations go? Well, with the kids, anything that has to do with the kids, um, I don't include anything with them, you know, without their permission. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then I go back through and I'm like, it, it doesn't serve anybody to, to add this, to, to share that. So that's going out. That goes, that goes, this goes. Because it's not about dishing for the sake of dishing for attention. It's if I'm, if I'm going to share a story that involves my family, it's for a very, big, important reason because there's other families experiencing, you know, similar things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no. Um, but when it comes to like me and my husband, I write, <laughs> I write the truth and you know, it, it, the truth doesn't change because we want, we want it to, or the truth doesn't change because you have great publicists. You know, the truth doesn't change because people have very short memories for whatever reason. It is, it exists, it's, it's forever. So, you know, I don't need to ask permission about that. (laughs) Not with, not with the grown up, not with the grown up. Yeah. I I don't get the, I wasn't actually thinking you get, you would ask permission. I guess I was thinking more like, like one of my favorite quotes from a writer is Anne Lamott. And I'm going to be paraphrasing here where she says, you know, that famous quote, if you wanted me to write something different or you want me to write about you better, you know, you better behave better. And you by no means you write badly about Dwayne in this book. But um, there are nuances here. And being transparent myself, that for me deeply resonated, not only as somebody who is partnered with somebody who is nine years younger than me, but also mm. I'm used to being the star in my relationships. And I'm with a man who's, for the first time in my life, you know, has a bigger, broader, splashier platform to me. And I'm like, what is this? <laughs> like, you know, like I make a joke. I'm like, okay, yeah. I need to be the star at home. So, you know, when I say this resonated with me, I, I mean, you know, probably more than most books and most interviews with most authors that I have here, I was like, yeah, this is me. <laughs> this is my life. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it, well, cause like it came up, I mean, it was a big, it was a very big deal in the last book with my dad mm-hmm. and my mm-hmm. stepmother, cause I talked about their affair yeah. and my dad initially was like, well, I mean, shit, I did it. And I'm like, you did. Uh, and others, you know, <laughs> who participated in that were like, what, what, what? I mean, what, what, what? so much time has passed. Aren't you guys over that? And we're like, no, no, we're not. Neither's my mom. And then after it came out and it was like the waves of people reading it, you have to deal with people's feelings about their truth. And I'm like, here's the number to our therapist. Um, here's a resource um, of Black therapists in your area. Because uh, this is probably an issue, but not for me. So um, you should handle that <laughs> to make peace with, you know, how your things impacted us. But I never, I never, I didn't check in in that way with adults, you know what I mean? Who made adult mm-hmm. decisions who have to live with mm-hmm. adult consequences. But I'm also aware that my husband has the ability to talk to the media his damn self. Um, and his book comes out a month after mine. No, like a month and a half after mine. So, 
you know, he has the ability to, <laughs> to, to talk, you know, to speak for himself. And, uh, you know, he's my, con- he's my, uh, uh, moderator. Um, how many times I've been in, in the, in the legal system. Uh, he's our moderator for the Miami day. Oh, so, how cool. um, yeah. So he can, you know, chime in. He can, about, he can, be, <laughs> he can be like, you know, you were being extra, right? You were being really extra. <laughs> yeah. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. I'm going to predict that people are going to resonate with this book because I think that it is a lot of people's story, you know. Another thing you go into here that I didn't know I needed to hear about was perimenopause. I'm like, oh, right. (laughs) Yeah, that's happening. That's a thing. It's going on. (laughs) And, you know, these are not glamorous topics. You are a glamorous woman. These are not glamorous topics, but they are things we need to talk about. And I think particularly with Black women, we don't get to have these conversations that much. And I don't know why we don't get to have these conversations that much, but we don't. And, you know, I know, I know from our other conversations how committed you are to our causes in general, but why was this one vital for you at this particular stage of life? So just in terms of like your numbers, right? So they'll tell you that you're perimenopausal based on your, your hormone levels, right? And I was, you know, diagnosed as perimenopausal in my late thirties, right? right? But it wasn't like, it wasn't manifesting as, you know, much of anything, or I didn't think so at the time. Cut to the pandemic. And it was like, I woke up and my whole life changed overnight, gained 25 pounds, acne, hair falling out. Like, it was like, I was back in IVF again, but not, um, I was just, I was just trying to get through the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I don't even know if dark is enough, is a big enough word to encompass what this depression I went into felt like and, and how it manifested. Had a dumb argument with D and immediately that voice in my head that I learned to listen to after I was raped, that, that voice in my head that said, run out the back. Uh, after I did not run out the back and proceeded to be raped at gunpoint, I've never questioned that voice ever, right? Has have this super little argument with D. My voice was like, you should kill yourself. The only way he's going to understand is if you're dead. And that was unrelenting. It did not stop for two weeks. And immediately I was like, something, something like I, that's not normal. And I called my therapist right away. And she said, this is passive suicidal ideation. You don't actually want to kill yourself. This is situational, more likely than not hormone, you know, hormone imbalance and do, you know, induced, you know, perimenopause um, can, you know, present, you know, can, can cause this. 
and surviving that, just getting through every day. It's like being told by your most trusted loved one that you should die. And one of my biggest fears in life is not being understood. Like I'm, I'm forever being like, am, am I making sense? Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Like I, I, I hate not being understood. And so this idea that was, that was planted in my brain and reinforced all day, every day for two weeks was that in order to be understood, you're going to have to die. And when, by the time I came out of that, I was like, we have to include this. Yeah. Um, and I was up against a deadline, but I was like, there, I would be irresponsible not to write about what I just survived. Because if you don't have a therapist on hand, you know, again, talk about privilege and resources. And I have been in therapy for, you know, 25 years plus. Um, you could fuck around and kill yourself and, and feel like you're supposed to. Like it was the most natural thing. Like, oh, time to go to the bathroom. Oh, time to kill yourself. And I, and then I started doing a deeper dive in, you know, the, the stories of, of, of more famous women who have taken their lives. And, and I started doing different, you know, a deeper dive into research about, you know, what is the age range that is most likely to commit suicide? And I was right dead smack in the middle of that. And looking at those other women and, and the way that their, their pain um, and, and, and their deaths were dismissed as, well, you know, basically women of our age were no longer, you know, romantic options or sexual options. You're just not used to, you know, being passed over for someone younger. You're starting to get moved out at work. You might be training your replacement. Um, you know, also a time where a lot of marriages break up, kids leave the nest. And it, it, these things can also be triggers that can kind of lead down this path. But it's not the, it's not the whole story. And if we start asking for full blood panels, mm -hmm. when we go to see our OB and when we go to see our general practitioners and, and, you know, for a lot of people, you know, I certainly grew up with and know today who go to Planned Parenthood for, you know, their, their women's visits, ask for a full blood panel and check all those hormone levels. Cause I bet you there is, there is a correlation between, you know, if you have a certainly a sudden depression, but a depression that maybe has started like maybe late thirties, carried your forties, fifties and, and onward, that it could be, that there might be a jetpack fuel of, you know, perimenopause or menopause fueling it. And there's things that you can do. And it is, it, it's, it is dark. It is, I can't say it enough. It is fucking dark, but there is help. And, you know, again, one, by the time you get out and you're like, okay, shit, what did I just experience? Now, at this point, if I don't talk about this, I'm actually an asshole. Like people, people are dying and no, you know, people are just left with like, I don't know what happened. This came out of nowhere, you know, and it doesn't come out of nowhere. Right. You think you it's know? happening in a vacuum when it's happening. And I mean, and I say that as somebody who's dealt with hormonally based depression myself and I, and I, I, I love is probably not the right word. I appreciated that you drew some correlations and that's not to diagnose anybody, obviously, but we do know that, at least I know, you know, there's been a, a rash of women, successful, dynamic, gorgeous, amazing, you know, super talented, super visible women, you know, women who you're like, oh, but you have, or you had community or we, I thought you did, or, you know, you had this great life. You had this, what all the excuses we can make for somebody in the world of what you know, what we're projecting onto them is 
success per se, who have suddenly just disappeared from our midst and we don't know what's going on. And again, that's not to diagnose anyone and say what any of those things were, but I agree with you wholeheartedly that the triggers, you know, like it's not, that's not always the cause, right? It's, it's the, it's the thing that makes the other thing possible. It's the thing that makes that voice possible. And I, I guess what I really appreciate is I don't think anybody, I have not read at least, um, such a clear description of what that sounds like, right? This like, because it, it's clear as a bell and you're like, okay, <laughs> what's happening, you know? So yeah, thank you for including that because I, I think even encouraging people to investigate is really powerful because we don't, we don't always get the encouragement to do that. We're, especially Black people, I think we're so often told to like, this is a spiritual matter. You're, you know, like you're not, you're not grateful enough. You're not, you know, or whatever. Turn, give it to God, you know? Mm-hmm. Um and that's not always the answer, unfortunately. But, you know, I, I noted earlier, you, you write something early in this book that I love. I'm going to just pivot a little bit because uh, you write that. And again, I'm going to paraphrase you that basically writers make readers who then become writers. And you are obviously a person who reads a lot. And it's something I see all throughout your writing. But also, I have to mention that you are not only a repeat visitor to this podcast, you are somebody who has come up again and again in this podcast because of your support of other authors as a producer. <laughs> so, you know, we are in a, a phase right now of, uh, I mean, I'm glad to see it. I guess, we, you know, books were always being turned into films and, and things like that. But I think now more than ever, we're seeing a lot more contemporary works and a lot more works by people who maybe never would have gotten that platform coming to the screen through people like you, through people like Ava, through people, you know, who have said, no, 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 we need to be there too. I mean, I'm thinking off the top of my head, you know, George M. Johnson has been on this podcast. Tia Williams was just on this podcast. I know you're not only producing, but starring in uh, The Perfect Find, which is an adaptation of, of one of her novels. Can you talk a little bit about that aspect? Because now as an author, I assume you also have a different perspective on what it takes to even just get this one thing done, this story told, <laughs> but then bringing it to the screen, like just what that process is like for you now. I mean, that once, like, you can't let me in the door. I'm a, I'm coming in, I'm bringing my <laughs> shit, I'm setting up shop, like, and I'm holding the door open while, you know, come in, come in, there's the back entrance. I'm trying to get everybody on. And, you know, obviously, you know, I'm just one production company, but so many of us have production companies. So many of us have budgets to options. So many of us have budgets where we can actually pay authors a reasonable, you know, rate for their, for their work uh, to option it. So many of us have a little bit of, you know, sauce where we can get a project sold through development and on the screen. And if we can do that for each other, shit, come on. Cause like, if I was waiting, you know, I waited my whole career, you know, I did all the right things, you know, allegedly did all the right things. They tell you, you know, open big movies, did all the things and crickets. So somehow they let my ass in and I'm going to bring as many people with me as possible. But now that I've been, you know, in the literary world and I understand how hard it is to even get a literary agent to, the, you know what I mean? The, the whole process is, is, is just lined with dead dreams, you know? And yeah, again, I'm actually an asshole. If I don't use my time, you know, while I got it 
to bring as many people on and, and help at each stage of the process. So yeah, I want, I want your pre-sales to be through the roof. So to help make sure that your book is, is being seen and read and you have those sales and it sends the message to the publishers that, oh, wow, not only is this author, you know, she's amazing, but yeah, there, there's a couple others I met this week that, yeah, like bring them along too, give them a chance because there's a whole community that's here willing, waiting, can't wait to support them. Um, yeah. And then I just take that energy through the optioning process. I mean, and, and a lot of these I'm, I'm in a dog fight for everybody wants, you know, a lot of these books. So, you know, those, those few that I, I have been, you know, they've been kind enough to, to, uh, allow me to, you know, help them with their dreams. I, I am dogged. I just, I can't stop it for me. You know, I love acting, but the producing side of things, there is nothing more thrilling and fulfilling than, you know, getting a sale in the room and watching somebody's dreams start to be able to like, you know, step one of a thousand come to pass. There is no feeling like it in the world. Well, so. you know, I, I, I also want to point out to our listeners uh, who will get their hands on this book, I hope um, that you do, you know, look, this is not just, she's not just like talking about it. There's a whole section here where you actually walk us through what it's like to pitch, right? <laughs> you know, yes. and I think for all of us aspiring, you know, people are always asking, like, how do you get a book deal? What's the process like? Da, da, da. And you kind of just lay it out here, like, you know, as this person who's had this decades-long career, you lay this process out there like a little it's, it's I don't even know how to it's like both of an it's both an instructional guide, but also kind of a cheerleading, like you can do it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> kind of chapter here. That I, I, I mean, I love that you call it how to pitch your life, <laughs> like pitch for your life, like go for it, go for it so hard. Because um, I don't think that we get those, those insider, like, you know, we, we don't get to be the fly on the wall. We don't get to be at the, in the room where it happens or that, have that seat at the table to know, you know, most of us won't get in the room. Right. But I do think that I, I you know, I just personally had to thank you for putting that in. Cause I just, it's a question I get asked a lot. And I'm like, what the hell do I know? I'm sitting here hosting the podcast, dude. <laughs> So I, I love that you put that in there. Um, there is one thing you do here that I, I, I do want to point out because I think so many people, you know, now though black folks are down, we, we, we've known a gap union for a little bit longer and in different ways. <laughs> we know, we've been knowing you since our teenage years. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, most, most of America, of most of the world got to know Gabrielle Union through Bring It On. And you do something here. I wasn't even sure how to feel about it. Like one, one part of me was like, yeah. And the other part of me was like, oh, you are dismantling dreams here with the way you kind of take us back through the journey of ISIS. You know, this now iconic character in this cult classic movie. And I don't want to spoil too much of it because I think that's a conversation people need to read for themselves. But why did you feel the need to, to give us another perspective on who ISIS was and why she was and what she wasn't, maybe. Right. Uh, it was a meme. It was a meme that was going around about movie villains. And, you was know, she a villain? Seeing... <laughs> like, I never saw her Exactly. Like, okay, not a villain. Exactly. So, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm looking through them, and, and they're like, you know, like the the serial killer in, you know, in, in, in movies, you know, like the son of Sam, you know, it was like... Freddy Krueger uh, and ISIS. But, These are not the same things. <laughs> exactly. And then there was like, the 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 clovers and it was isis i was like a villain 
Wow. And it fucked it. I part my language. It fucked me. You're at the root. You can cuss. And, um, it's fine. Cuss, okay. cuss away. Yeah, I'm like, uh, it, it's um, fucked up. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, that's deep. Yeah. A black girl that fought for accountability and acknowledgement and who won on her own terms and, you know, using her own labor is somehow seen as a villain. And then it got me into remembering like all the different times people come up to me and they do impressions of me in the movie and none of it sounds like me. And it got me thinking about Saint, you know, Sandra Bland and, and, and her speaking and, you know, to the officer who somehow heard something different, who somehow made her a villain because she knew her rights and she was standing up for herself in the moment. She was made a villain and she was murdered for that. And so you see the, obviously the range of what happens when we don't see black women as we are and being upset that I didn't fight harder. And I, I mean, I fought hard. I mean, that, that is well-documented, but I should have fought harder. You know, somebody making, you know, making mention that none of us had last names, right? Like over, I mean, first of all, over a number of movies that I did during that period, none of the black characters had names uh, in these like white teen movies. None of us had last names or parents. Um, while all the white characters, even ones you see for a hot second had first and last names. Just like those little things. And I was like, okay. And then we, you know, of course, over the pandemic, we were talking about if we were, if we were to do a sequel, what could that look like? And we, you know, we, we had a number of, you know, meetings and, and whatnot. And the whole time I'm like, I have to do right by this character in the same way that I want the world to do right by black women. It has to start with, if I can't do right by a fictional black woman, like, come on, come on, <laughs> come right. on. You know, in the moment when we need people to stand beside us and stand in the gap, well, ma'am, I, I got to start with myself with a fictional character, you know, ease my way in, you know, whatever. And, and, and just really doing a deeper dive on all the ways that I had failed this character. And in that, hoping to point out perhaps to, to others um, that we've all failed black women. Yeah. And um, yeah, and we can do better. Well, you know, I, can do better. I know you interpret it as a failure, but I, I can say as somebody who, again, is around the same age you are and remembers that movie well. For a lot of us, it was the first time that we even got that close to seeing ourselves represented in any way that in any shape, way, shape or form represented who we believed ourselves to be. And, you know, obviously that was now 20 years ago, a little over. Um, and you were now raising Black women. <laughs> How do you hope they use this book? How do you hope that we engage with this book? I mean, it's just, it's the same hope I have for everybody. I want you to not be afraid of being vulnerable. I don't want you to ever look at vulnerability as any kind of weakness, um, but it is in fact your superpower. And I ran from mine until relatively recently. And you don't have to waste your life being worried about what other people think of your quote unquote weaknesses or your shortcomings or the things that aren't, but that's just how you feel about yourself. And you hide those away and you do anything to protect those. It's okay. It's okay to be your full ass self, you know, like all parts of you, the parts of you that scare you, the parts of you that you wish were a little different, the parts of you that you love. It's okay to live all of those 
out loud. And all of those things make you motherfucking unstoppable. And that is, that is the message, you know, um, we have to constantly remind Zaya of, you know, as, as she starts high school and, you know, she's a teen and, you know, it's, that's a whole different, Ooh, it's, whole a rough, different it's a rough patch for everybody. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a lot, it's a you lot. know, um, talk about hormones surging, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so just, um, yeah, embracing all of us. And there's no part of us that needs to be hidden away. No part of it. Well, every time uh, we get to speak with you, uh, I, I'm speaking for myself, but I know I'm not the only one the brood who feels this way. We walk away inspired. Thank you so much for giving us your time and giving us another round of your story with You Got Anything Stronger. Everybody pick this up. This is going to be great. It's out in September. And we're very excited to uh, have talked about it with you today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. The Root Presents It's Lit is produced by myself, Maisha Kai, and Michaela Heck. Our sound engineer is Ryan Allen. And our theme song was penned by yours truly and producer Scott Jacoby. If you like the show and want to help us out, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It really, really helps us out, and we always appreciate your feedback so much. If you have any thoughts or feedback, you can find me on Twitter at Maisha, that's M-A-I-Y-S-H-A, and at Maisha Kai on Instagram. And before we go, we always like to talk a little bit about what we're currently reading. What I'm currently reading is Unfollow Me by Jill Louise Busby. And <laughs> I got to tell you, I have, uh, I'm not sure that I've seen a book uh, or read a book, rather, that I've seen myself more in. This is nonfiction and uh, larger than life in a way. And I think it really speaks to a cultural moment that we're in both uh including the dynamics of race, but also our engagement with digital media. And um, Jill does some really kind of masterful unpacking here. And we're going to have her on the podcast soon to talk about it because I, I, I really, I got a lot from this book and I'm really kind of um, intrigued by it and her and and the questions that made me have about myself. So I hope you guys will all pick up and follow me. But in the meantime, that's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening and I will see you next week. Until then, you know what to do. Keep it lit. Keep it lit.